0: Practor and whatnot. Got a great show lined up. We're starting a new series with Lloyd and Todd, and looks like something didn't mute somewhere. I've got to find that, but uh, there it is. Looks like we're good. But uh, anyway, we got a lot of good material that we're going to be going into on Sharia, and the whole moving the goalpost issue that we've been dealing with for the last year since Lloyd and I started the first series a year and a week ago. and uh, But a whole lot of good information that will explain the, well, might as well just say it, sophistry, because that's going to play into a lot of uh, what we're exposing now and uh the origins of sophistry etc welcome back lloyd and todd
1: thank you good to be back hello everyone
0: hi so and lloyd you had done a a couple of shows recently with sonia Zom as well
1: yeah yeah we were starting to get into the sharia and uh well as you said, sophistry Street, to look at the Quran, you can argue literally both sides of any argument, and I will go into that, except when you look at the Sharia, it is definitive. It comes down on one side of the argument. It makes very clear what Islam says.
0: And uh, just really quickly, thanks to everybody throwing up super chats on the uh, page. Rainey is asking if Lloyd can please send or post the link to his... Uh, islam database it's gone and uh the links for the anti-terrorism and uss liberty stuff
1: okay yeah we will do um drop me a note afterwards um send me an email and i will update you with the latest links i have to change things or i change things around a little bit i will
0: all right so why don't we kick off and start with you lloyd and uh you want to dive right into a little presentation that you put together and then we'll bounce yeah, back and forth from that
1: um yeah sure i guess uh let me show the taskbar go to zoom so yeah i'm going to share my screen it's 12 pages uh, of slides and then i'm going to pop into a variety of sharia manuals people can actually see the sharia manuals for themselves
0: And... and just really quickly while you're bringing that up what were some of the issues that uh people were claiming over the last year when we were presenting all of this.
1: Um, I don't think we got well obviously from the from the side of the critics, there were always people who um, would argue Quranic verses back and forth and they would always they would fail to provide evidence. Um, I decided to address all of these critiques, for instance, the major issue was people would deny the islamic sources that say well the uh, sunnah the hadith and the Sira are unreliable you can't use this because they're actually not reliable and um and you can't use that because it's unreliable and the quran says this so i went and did so my first show and the links are in the description i did a show which actually demonstrated definitively utilizing sharia and all of the major scholars and the major scholarship in islam to show that the, all of the secondary revelations, the, the hadith, the Sirah, and all those, are what's called wahi, revelation. They are considered revelation from Allah and are protected by Allah, just like the Quran. And in fact, they are required to explain the Quran, they're necessary, they're critical, and not only that, they can even overrule the Quran. And the Sharia overrules everything. It's the ultimate decider of everything. And um, I think that ultimately silences these critics who are lying. And another thing that I will do in the future, and I'm busy working on this, is that to show what Muslims are actually taught at their madrasas because they claim ignorance, they claim not to know, while the fact is they know from the time they are five years old. And uh, yeah, so tonight, instead of having us go back and forth with the Quranic verses, versus the Bible, versus Quranic verses, We're just going to say, look, this is what the Sharia says. An interesting point I noted is that when you ask a Muslim to give you the citations from the Sharia, the definitive citations, what is the ultimate scholarly view? What is the ultimate law of Allah? They refuse point blank. They will not. And that's interesting. And we're going to go into a little bit of that. Okay. You guys can all see my screen.
0: Yep. We're good to go. Okay. Let's begin. You want to explain the title?
1: Islam, um, you've been replaced. Uh, Islam replaces everything. All faiths, all religions, all religious people have been replaced by Islam and Muslims. Uh, we're going to go into this. Uh, we're going to make links available so you can see the Sharia for yourself. But we're going to go through the definitive rulings. These are legal rulings. That are, they are unambiguous. Right? These are unambiguous. Uh, does that answer your question? Do I need anything additional?
0: I think that's good.
1: Okay, so let's have a look. So Islam over everything. That's what Islam alles means. Islam over everything. Now, this is the most popular, the most common, the most authenticated Sharia manual in the world. It's called the Reliance of the Traveler. Right? Uh, otherwise known as the Umdat al-Salik. This is the rarely seen appendix W. Now, you can, uh, we've added two links to this book in the description. You'll find one that is neatly retyped and indexed, or rather one that's not scanned, and it's neatly indexed and searchable. And this one, which is searchable, but obviously not the best quality scan, but I want you to see. This is the finality of the prophet's message, right? Let's read this. This section has been translated to clarify possible confusions among Muslims as to Islam's place among world religions. Previously revealed religions were valid in their own eras as attested to by the Quran, but were abrogated by the message of Islam. Abrogation means replaced as is attested by the Quran. It mentions that there are erroneous theories affirming these religions validity, right? This would be Judaism and Christianity, especially but denying or not mentioning their abrogation or that it is unbelief, the crime of kufr in Islam to hold that the remnant cults now bearing the names of formerly valid religions such as Christianity or Judaism are acceptable to Allah after he sent Muhammad. This is a matter over which there is no disagreement among Islamic scholars. Islam is the final religion that Allah will never lessen or abrogate. In other words, they're saying bluntly, Christianity, Judaism, Christians and Jews are canceled. You are void. Any comments, questions? I'll move on.
0: Just go ahead and move on.
1: <clears throat> okay. So now, let's have a look. It says here, now this is law, right? This is Ibn Kathir. He's probably the most authoritative seed, right, that these are the Quranic exodus of the commentaries on the Quran. Like people moan about the Talmud saying nasty things, well, this is the equivalent of the Talmud, right, the commentaries on their holy book. And, Except
0: um, uh, these are actually, we can actually find these, whereas in the Talmud yeah. they don't exist, as we've shown already.
1: Correct. And this says that fighting the Jews and Christians is legislated. In other words, it is law, and we will come to this in detail. The Christians and Jews are idolaters and disbelievers. Allah encourages the believers, the Muslims to fight the polytheists, the disbelieving Jews and Christians who uttered this terrible statement and utter lies against Allah. The Jews claimed that Zair was the son of God. I don't think that their reference exists. They'll give you some bogus one, but that is not true. As for the misguidance of Christians over Esau, now Isa is Esau, it's not Yeshua, Jesus. It is obvious this is why Allah declared both groups to be liars. They can't even get the name of Jesus right, but hey, we're liars. They have no proof that supports their claim other than lies and fabrications. They imitate previous nations who fell into misguidance just as the Jews and the Christians did. May Allah fight them. Ibn Abbas said, may Allah curse them. How they are deluded away from truth. How they deviate from truth when it is apparent. So we are deluded away from truth. And it is legislated legally in the Sharia that Muslims must fight us for this reason, that we are not Muslims, that we believe Jesus. Now, it says here, this is not from the Umdat al-Salik. I said, download a copy. It is fairly obvious that Muhammad being sent to all mankind would be pointless if all other religions were not now abrogated. So if Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, everything, was not abrogated. It would be pointless to send Muhammad, as would jihad be pointless. Something that Ibn al-Arabi discusses before going on to explain its spiritual side in what is unmistakably a treatment of jihad's outward military aspect and rules. Believer against unbeliever, sword against sword. Ushqara points out would be meaningless if both sides were upon guidance. They wouldn't have to fight us if we had guidance, but they must because we are astray. And it says here, while disobedient Muslims will one day leave the hellfire, the Jews and the Christians, the people of the book, who did not accept Muhammad, will remain in hell forever, which is as far from the universal validity of all religions as anything could be. All this bridge building, all of this uh, interfaith dialogues, this is what the Sharia says, and Muslims are taught this in the madrasa from the age of five. And last point on this slide, Ibn Abbas, another major tafsir scholar, fight against those who have been given the scriptures, the Jews and the Christians. And they forbid not in the Torah that which Allah hath forbidden by his messenger, by that's Muhammad. And they follow not the religion of truth. Now, that is an interesting term, the deen al-Haq, the religion of truth. We are the deen al-Baqarah. We are the religions of falsehood and battle is one of the names of satan we are the religions of satan and who do not submit themselves to allah through confession of allah's divine oneness until they pay the tribute being brought low abased this is what they must do to us this is the law any questions any comments before i move on go ahead okay now i want to make a note the jizya. What he spoke of in this previous slide until they pay the tribute this is tribute that we must pay to muslims for being allowed to practice our deviant religions our cancelled void religions if we are dhimmis under islamic rule It's called the capitation tax this is a direct uniform tax imposed on each head or person also called the poll tax because the the jizya is often is often translated as poll tax but the proper term is capitation as in decapitation if you don't pay it. And that's from Merriam Webster. Let's have a look at the al Battle, the false religions of Satan. Quran 242, and this is from tafsir Qutabi, Volume 1, Quran 242. Do not mix up truth with falsehood and knowingly hide the truth. It says a thing is mixed up when it is mixed with something similar to it, then it is not clear. Do not mix up Judaism and Christianity with Islam. The Sharia says we are not to be compared to Islam, Judaism, and Christ- the Bible, basically saying, look, these are two separate things. But yet, even though they are taught from the age of five that these things, they then claim brotherhood and we're all part of one r- nonsense. The word used for falsehood is battle, which means when something becomes unsound and worthless. So Muslims are taught that Christianity, Judaism, the Bible are unsound and worthless. And it can also mean in vain. The false al is one of the names of Satan. Now, let's look at Ibn Kathir again. Christians must serve Muhammad. So much Jews. The prohibition of hiding the truth and distorting it with falsehood. Allah forbade the Jews from distorting the truth with falsehood and from hiding the truth. And Allah ordered the Jews to make the truth known. Now, they claim the Bible, and they say if we read the madrasa manuals, these uh, tarbiya guides, good grief, every single one of them, every one that I've read, bluntly states that we have a false book that has been edited lies have been added it is these books are distorted they're false they've been they've been mixed up with all sorts of nonsense that's what they tell their kids and that's what they believe and he said do not mix judaism and christianity while you know the truth and with islam while you know the truth that the religion of allah is islam and that judaism and christianity are innovations that did not come from allah that's bidda that's the legal term bidda an illegal innovation a crime which is equivalent to apostasy that did not come from Allah. Do not hide the knowledge that you have of Muhammad and what he was sent with. Muhammad's description, which you know about, can be found written in the Bible. They claim, because the Sharia claims that Muhammad is in the Bible, therefore they have to believe that Muhammad's in the Bible and there's no evidence of that. But because this is the Sharia, they must believe this. A last statement to the people of the book, that's the Jews and the Christians, is to perform the prayer behind the prophet. We were supposed to surrender and become Muslims. Now, something, again, this is Umdat al-Salik. This is directly lifted from that book. This is the major Sharia manual in the world, the most popular Sharia manual, the most common, the most authoritative. This is on the definition of good and bad. What is good and bad in Sharia? Well, not reason. Reason is considered deviant. It cannot be said that an act which the mind deems good is therefore good in the eyes of Allah. And that Allah wants us to perform it and that you are rewarded by Allah. Or that whatever the mind feels to be bad is bad in the eyes of Allah. So, for instance, having sex with a nine-year-old girl might seem bad to you, but that doesn't mean that you're not supposed to do it and that you're punished by Allah. It doesn't mean that stoning a woman to death. It doesn't mean that murdering people who leave Islam by cutting off their heads or hanging them or setting them on fire is bad because you think it's bad, because you feel it's bad. That's what it says here. The meaning of good and bad in section A1.4, the premise of this school of thought is that the good is what the lawgiver, synonymous with Allah or his messenger, has indicated is good. In other words, what you are told, and that source is the sharia, by permitting it or asking it to be done. And the bad is what the lawgiver has indicated is bad by asking for it not to be done. The good is not what reason considers good, nor the bad what reason considers bad. Good and bad, according to Islam, is the sacred law, the Sharia, and not reason.
0: Now, to that point, uh, for those of you who don't know, under uh, Christian Logos, and I'm going to bring that up here, one of the first uh, descriptions of Logos is that it is reason. And so I'm going to show that on screen here, just so people understand that. Oop, where did it go? There we go. Uh oh, wrong window. It's not letting me grab it. Just a second.
1: Cool. Yeah, I've only got five slides on this. I'm not gonna do
0: here. I uh, okay. Here it is. I got it we'll now. Go for it. All right. So logos, by implication, also reasoning. So the foundation of Christianity is reasoning. The word logos, uh, reason, and reasoning is the art of logic or non-contradictory identification, which is truth. So what the Sharia is saying is that uh it's not based on truth, it's based on whatever is indicated by the lawgivers of Allah. Allah's divine will. Correct.
1: Yeah. You'll do what you are told. I want to make a note. Um it's not one of the slides, but I want to read this. Um but yeah, Allah is not logos. Logos is reason. Logos is logic and um, natural law. Allah is will. Do what thou wilt is the whole of the law. The term "deen" comes up a lot, and Islam describes itself as a deen. It does not describe itself as a religion. That's a that's a that's a convenience, but that is not the term for Islam. A deen is a. Listen to this then, it's one of the most significant terms in the Quran. It offers a wide perspective on existence, life, society, and, a soci- and social socio-political systems. It is popularly translated as religion. You but know
0: what? I just I have a sizing issue going on here. I don't know okay. what the hell happened with the screen. Okay. So let me try to correct whatever. Just when I grabbed the wrong okay. window, it resized it. Not sure how to correct that. Jeez. Sorry, guys.
1: Uh, it's only four sentences. Shall I read it?
0: All right. Yeah, just go ahead. Just be aware that we're being cut off on the screen right now. It uh, Okay, is... uh, there's nothing
1: on the screen. I'm only just reading it anyway. I don't have a slide for this. It says that even though Islam is popularly translated as religion, its scope is much greater than what the term religion can offer. Deen, the first meaning is subjugation or dominance, administrative or legislative authority to put pressure to be obedient or using power to enslave or to make one obedient. In Arabic, dintuhum for Danu means I subjugated them so they obeyed me. Dintuhum means I ruled or governed upon him. Thus the word Dayan is used to indicate a person who dominates and rules over a state, nation, or tribe. That's your first definition of Deen. The second meaning is obedience and bondage, subordination and domination by someone bearing humiliation under subjugation and power of others. As stated, Dintuhum padanu means I subjugated them, so they obeyed me. The obedient tribe is called dainum. Here, al-deen does not mean religion, but it means obedience, in this case, forced obedience. The third meaning is rules, regulations, ideology, doctrine, custom, tradition, and then finally, religion. And finally, the fourth meaning is reward, repayment, justice, and accountability. So for those who follow the deen, there is reward, justice, and, and uh, for the rest, there's only justice and accountability and subjugation. That's what that's what Islam is.
0: Shoot, I'm still trying to get the uh, scaling correct, sorry. Anyway, go ahead, I'm just gonna ignore it. I'll okay, have I'll to- Okay, will do t- one more. All right, go next ahead.
1: Slide. Okay, so my screen is still showing?
0: Yeah, it's still showing, it just uh, resized things. I don't, it, it's not allowing me to set it back uh, while we're live, so that's a problem. But uh, we'll just yeah. have to work with it, go ahead.
1: Okay, so let me go to the next slide. This is the story about the Mutazilites, very briefly. They are termed, this is the, um, from the water of Iman al-Haramayn al juwayni This is a classical manual of Islamic law um, by this man, al-Jawaini. And he calls the Mutazilites a deviant sect who made reason the ultimate criterion of truth. And they were killed. Th- these people were all killed because they wanted to use reason and not the Sharia, and they were killed for it. Now notice he says that they are also known to reject Hadith, despite the fact that the Qur'an cannot be completely understood without referring to Hadith and Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah. And yet we have Muslims who will tell us everything, every other source of Islam is false. When, in fact, this Hadith and the Sunnah is far more voluminous and was integrated and is responsible for the law of Islam. Now, I want to note, people moan constantly about the Talmud. You lie about it, of course. I mean, they lie constantly. But yet they fail to take a look at Islam, right? Have a look at this. This is in the Sharia. Again, Umdat al-Salik. This is when you have been subjugated under the Sharia as a dhimmi right? And it says, when the proceeds are directed to an unlawful use, such as building a church, it's illegal in Islam, or purchasing lamps for a church, This assists disobedience to Allah. Rafi'i says, the same is true of an endowment for printing the Torah or the New Testament, which is invalid because the Jews and the Christians have altered the text and they've interpolated spurious material. It is not permissible to print their scriptures because doing so is to participate in their disobedience to Allah. And I'm going to do a section later on what happens to people who disobey Allah. You Take a wild guess. And it shows here the indemnity for the death or injury of a woman is one half the indemnity paid for a man because a woman is worth one half of the man. But a Jew or a Christian is one third of that of a Muslim. And a Zoroastrian is one fifteenth. That's your value in Islam. You are one third of the value of a Muslim under the law, under Sharia. Now, any comments or questions? Slide nine.
2: They had to really stick it to the Zoroastrians, because they're the ones who are probably the most like Islam in the end.
1: Yeah, and they fought them, of course, yeah. So now, the idea of abrogation. Now, we are told, for instance, that certain verses in the Quran were abrogated, we know this, it's, it's part of Sharia law, and to become an Islamic judge or an Imam, you have to know what abrogated what, what verses cancelled previous verses. But yet, both verses remain in the Quran, both verses remain current, right? However, how we've been taught to view abrogation is actually mistaken it's wrong abrogation was the process of Allah fixing errors specifically Muhammad's mistakes Muhammad would receive revelation he would make a mistake in translation he would make a mistake when this was transcribed and then written down and Allah would send a verse to correct the error so anything that's been abrogated was a mistake that is void it is not still current. Now, what's interesting, what people don't realize, there are two concepts in Islam. So they can now, a Muslim can point, or anyone can point to a verse and say, but look, that verse, they can say Quran 2, 256. We'll get to the example. It says there is no compulsion in religion. But then you look at Quran 385 and it says, whoever wants religion other than Islam, never will it be accepted. The second one overrules the first because it came after the first and the first is now canceled. But the fact is both are still written in the book, right? Both are still there and they cannot, and it cannot be erased because it's in the book. However, there's the concept of mafhum and mantuk, which is something that I just learned a few weeks ago. So mantuk means that the literal wording of the verse remains. The verse is in the book, it is there, but only a jurist, only an Islamic jurist will know that that verse no longer means what the words say. That is the mafhum. The meaning has been abrogated and replaced with a different meaning that is not what the words on the page say. So the mafhum is the secret meaning that is not what the mantuk, the words on the page say. So let me read this, it was possible. So this is on, so this is from Al-Ghazali. This is the number one Muslim after Muhammad. This is the prime Imam after Muhammad. This man is the foundation of Islam. If it was possible for the Prophet to engage in judgment, then it follows in Ishtihad, then it was possible for the resulting judgment to be either correct or incorrect. In those cases where Muhammad's judgment was incorrect, the error would not be allowed to remain. Rather, a Quranic verse would inevitably be revealed in order to correct Muhammad's mistaken judgment. If no such verse was revealed, this indicated that Muhammad's judgment was correct. Being in, being in accordance with the truth as known by Allah. And it says here, it was possible for Muhammad to make mistakes. However, he was not allowed to remain in error. Instead, he was soon made aware of it. And this is a reference from a gift for the Belwia. So Muhammad's errors were corrected. What is not abrogated is true. What was abrogated was a mistake. Therefore, it is not valid anymore. And consider this then the rule of abrogation right here's a contradiction there shall be no compulsion in the religion awesome versus whoever desires other than islam as religion never will it be accepted so we are told that abrogation you know both verses well the one is more no 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 the other one is just flat out wrong it was muhammad's mistake al-ghazali says right the prophets so So Ghazali wrote a famous book called Deliverance from Error. The prophets, I've got one more slide or two after this. The prophets and religious leaders referred men to exercise of personal judgment. And so despite their knowledge that men might make mistakes, the apostle of Allah even said, I judge by externals, but God undertakes to um, to judge the hearts of men. This means I judge according to the most probable opinion resulting from the witnesses' statements but they may make mistakes about the matter. And his emphasis, the prophets had no way to be safe from error in such cases involving personal judgments. So if the prophets are not safe from making mistakes in judgment, how can anyone else aspire to them? So Al-Ghazali explained that Muhammad used personal judgment and he was not free from error. So Al-Ghazali explains these matters in detail that the prophets can make errors in judgment and that's why abrogation occurred. Now, what's interesting, this is these this is the scholarly consensus and this was the book that I discovered this discussion in. The Prophet's errors in judgment, like in the, like he, for instance, he released the prisoners of Badr and he demanded a ransom for them. Okay? And I will show you something related to that what was said afterwards, then the revelation of the Quranic verse reprimanding the prophet and his companions for the decision to release Prisoners points to important principles. The event serves as evidence that the Prophet possessed the right to engage in the okay, blah blah. It just says here it was possible for Muhammad to engage in HTI, then it follows he could make mistakes. Right? And thus verses were revealed to in order to correct his mistakes. And I'll show an example of that in a moment as to what actually occurred there. Let me just go back to my task one. And let me show you what Allah actually told uh, Muhammad in response. Oh, Done it. It's two thirty in the morning for me, so uh, I'm not three hundred percent fresh. I'll say that. um hold on. one sec ah oh, here we go this is what this is what Allah told Muhammad after he let these prisoners go for ransom Allah said a prophet must slaughter." before collecting captives. A slaughtered enemy is driven from the land. Muhammad, you craved the desires of this world, its goods and the ransom captives would bring, but Allah desires killing them to manifest their religion." And this is in Ibn Isham 484, that's Muhammad's biography. Yeah, so that is what Allah told him. And um, final slide. There was a big fuss made about what they call pardes which is practically like hidden meanings within the talmud and as you know the talmud is a commentary on the bible and as we did our series on that we showed that people were just flat out lying about that well the very same thing exists in islam and i don't know why it's not a problem no one's talking about it right the,
0: the exact same things that are claimed about the talmud that we could but, not find you know exactly they would take one single line out of context out of a lengthy yeah. discussion we can easily find these things in the Islamic text, but there's no problem whatsoever with these people. Correct.
1: And these things are law. They're not just an opinion of a rabbi. This is law. This is the sharia. The sharia is God's law, Allah's law. Eternal, unchangeable, can never be changed. Right? And it says there are four levels of meaning in the Quran. The first is Ibara which is the meaning of the text meant for the mass of believers. Fascinating. The first layer of meaning is just meant for the mass, masses. And the second, the ishara, is only available to the spiritual elite lying beyond the obvious verbal meaning. And then we've got the subtleties that were meant particularly for the saints. And this typically would refer to the sufis, Because these are Islamic saints. Yeah. So there we go. So that's just so that that, those that's my slide presentation. That's what I wanted to uh, highlight
0: this. This that you're pointing out is what they claim is the same as uh pill pull in the Talmud, which just means peppering or sharp analysis. Um, Yeah. But that is reasoning
1: that that is a process. Can you can you cancel
0: your share screen there? We're seeing your desktop. Yeah.
1: I need to do one more set of books after this. I need to do one more thing.
0: But uh, so that would be, you know, like what they claim is the same as pill And then when we actually go into the Talmud, you know, and I've shown this many times, uh, we can't find, you know, out of all all 70 of these claims against the Talmud, only one of them turned out to be true. So Uh, 1.6% accuracy in these yeah. claims against the against the Jewish Talmud, when we were able, within two days, I was able to verify about 75% of these within the Islamic text. And you can see how I've put, yeah. compare Islam. But, you know, if it's in Islam, it's not a problem. And the lie is that, oh, well, Islam is just a creation of the Vatican or of Judaism, and therefore we don't have to pay any attention to it. Any, any sort of fallacious... No. Uh, bunch yeah. of crap that they can c- create about it
1: yeah exactly um also if you look at pillful it's like Ask, a hold on
0: and uh i asked yon on facebook if the freemasons are crypto islamic we exposed that uh months ago uh todd and i did uh months ago with uh the freemasons and whatnot but if you uh, look at the definition of, and, I, lem, and I'll pass it right back over to you. Let me just pull this up here. If you look at the definition of Baphomet, et cetera, and we did a whole show just on the Freemasons, but Baphomet is a term used by the Templars, blah, 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 that connects into Freemasonry, et cetera. We also showed with uh, Lloyd how the highest levels of Freemasonry are all uh shriners etc which is islam so we've already covered that um what six eight months you, ago
2: you should uh, bring up the idris shah uh, yeah the, read the quote right, from read shah. The quote it says that uh basically the european freemasonry uh got its its terms mixed up with hebrew and then made it jewish when really honestly you want to
0: tip your camera down awesome. just a little bit there sorry about that thank you oh that's you i don't mean you're good up oh, there you go perfect sorry go ahead all right
2: no the, you've got the book right there the idris shah uh where it says that it they um they misunderstood the saracen terms and equated it to uh judaism because that's what they understood better but really
0: what yeah what it was, L- let me it, let me go grab uh, that book you guys take over for a minute it's on the table yeah, in the other room
1: yeah, i'm going to share my screen and i'm going to um while you go and i'll just do some new stuff in the meantime. tell me if, if my screen is up. It's good. Hmm. Is my screen sharing working? Yep, well, I'll yep. see in it. Okay, I'm going to go through a handful of Sharia manuals and other authoritative books. This is, uh, that's page 117. This is a book from the Islamic Circle of North America. This is a large, mainstream, family friendly Islamic organization. They're part of the Muslim Student Association. Now, notice the Islamic word for student is Taliban. <laughs> what? Taliban. <laughs> the <laughs> Taliban are students. <laughs> oh, Rashida oh, Talib, a yeah. student. Talib. Student, Taliban, multiple students, many students. They're part of the MSA, the Muslim Students Association, is the oldest, uh, biggest Muslim association in the country, and America. And <laughs> the they, the Taliban. <laughs> okay. So anyway, so these guys are a family friendly. If you notice in their book, this is their mosque study guide for for children. This is the teenager. They've got different levels, but anyway, this is their study guide. And tafsir, 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 tafsir. The first thing they do is tafsir, and then the sirah, and then the hadith comes
2: third. But
1: hold on. Let's go to page one seventy. I want to read this I mean, to you. you. Notice
2: that, guys. It, it, it doesn't. The Quran doesn't come first. They don't learn Quran first. Yeah, they're
1: doing tafsir of individual verses. They do. They show how to do tafsir, which is the exegesis. The the literally the word means interpretation. But listen to this. Take jihad for instance. Since some of our young people today have become very interested in it, no doubt, jihad is a great act of devotion. Mainstream, family-friendly. Every year, they have, a, they have a weekend conference and 50 plus thousand people come to it. There are 100 levels in paradise that the prophet, that Allah has prepared for those who engage in jihad in the way of Allah. The distance between any two levels is like the distance from the sky and the earth. The pinnacle of Islam is jihad in the way of Allah. Now, it says here, do you consider Allah makes jihad the greatest of works? When he says... Do you consider the giving of drink to the pilgrims or the maintenance of the mosque equal to the service of those who believe in Allah and the last day and strive with might and main in the cause of Allah? They are not equal in the sight of Allah, and Allah guides not those who do wrong. Those who believe and emigrate, hmm, emigrate, emigration, form of jihad, and strive with might and main in Allah's cause with their wealth and their lives I thought jihad was about having more, I don't know, more salads, more gym time, less swearing. But hey, it seems that if you sacrifice your wealth and your life in jihad, that ooh, something involves dying, killing, it seems. These have the highest rank in the sight of Allah. Now, notice this striving here. Footnote 113. One, Let's have a look at that footnote 113. One, Let's have a good look at footnote number 113. One,
0: Let's oh, go back. You just had it.
1: Yep, I see uh, the word that Allah used in Arabic, and this they teach to teenagers, this is mainstream, this is a moderate group. If someone has a copy of the moderate Quran, please send it to me. The word Allah used in Arabic is, fi Allah, meaning, jihad in the path of Allah. It is incorrect to translate the word jihad to mean striving, because jihad is a legal terminology with a specific meaning. And that is Fighting in the path of Allah and the struggle therein. Translating the word jihad to mean striving is misleading as it gives a meaning different to the intended meaning of the verse. This error has become a common practice among translators. Let them be careful from falling into such errors. What do you guys make of that?
2: But they're just dissimulating. All the other authors are dissimulating Islam. They're just making look nice.
1: Yeah. Jihad is fighting. So, Jan, you wanted to do something before I go on?
0: Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Let me uh, read this quote. And so, do you want to kill the share screen for a minute? Yeah, well. Yeah. All right. So, and I've shown this uh, quote before, but I'm going to read more of it because there's more to it. This is the book, The Suvis, by Idris Shah. And uh, the forward, interestingly, is by Robert Graves, whom, of course, for those of you who know your ethnomycology and ethnobotany history, he influenced uh, R. Gordon Wasson, who went down into Mexico to collect the magic mushrooms to kick off M. Kiltris Subproject 58. And Robert Graves was a top member of the OTO, or Or Ordo Templi Orientis, uh, founded by... uh, uh, Alistair Crowley. So here, let me just pull up uh, the OTO. Here, it should be right here someplace. Uh, hold on a second, just so people can see. Here we go. See some of the members of that: Jack Parsons, Kenneth Anger, Elron Hubbard, Robert Anton Wilson, Aldous Huxley, Alfred Kinsey, the famous pedophile. Here we have Alistair Crowley, etc. So all of this stuff plays into what we'll be exposing in this series and how it all ties together into uh, what Aldous Huxley laid forth in the perennial philosophy, which was uh, his main work. Uh, Let me see, where is that? Perennial philosophy is here, and that all of this goes forward through Sufism and Islam, etc., into uh, the OTO and what the members of the OTO like Aldous Huxley, Robert Anton Wilson, all the others that I just showed on screen, what they were promoting to the public. And it's essentially what later became primacy of consciousness. And uh, for instance, Aldous Huxley's book, The Doors of Perception, you you can't know anything through logic and reason. You have to shut down your five senses. You can't know truth and you have to go inward. And there's the inner God versus the outer God and perennial philosophy which is the same as in uh, Sufism and whatnot. But um, so this quote says, the Sufis are an ancient spiritual Freemasonry. Indeed, Freemasonry itself began as a Sufi society. It first reached England in the reign of King Athelstan, 924 to 939, and was introduced in Scotland disguised as a craft guild at the beginning of the 14th century, doubtless by the Knights Templars. And I just showed the quote regarding Baphomet and the Knights Templar and how Baphomet is actually another name for Muhammad. Uh, It's Reformation in early 18th century London by a group of Protestant sages who mistook its serration terms for Hebrew has obscured, and note that, okay, so it's a Sufi order, and it's been misunderstood as Hebrew terms, has obscured many of its early traditions. Richard Burton, translator of the Thousand and One Nights, being both a Freemason and a Sufi, first pointed out the close relation between the two societies. But he was not sufficiently advanced in either to realize that Freemasonry had begun as a Sufi group. Idris Shah Saeed now shows that it was a metaphor for the reedification or rebuilding of spiritual man from, this, from his ruined state. So what they're saying is that people in logos or truth, who, who believe in uh, reason and God is truth are in a ruined state. and we have to go to this sophistic or sophistic uh, system. Uh, based on lies and deception to come out of the ruined state, which is what Aldous Huxley and MKUltra and all of these clowns promoted. And uh, and that the three working instruments displayed on modern Masonic lodges represent the three postures of prayer. Buies, or Boaz, and Solomon's son of David, who were honored by Freemasons as builders at King Solomon's temple at Jerusalem, were not... Solomon's Israelite subjects, or Phoenician allies as supposed, but Abdel Malik's Sufi architects who built the dome of the rock on the ruins of Solomon's temple and their successors. Their real names included Thuban Abdel Faiz, or Iz, and his great-grandson, Maruf the son, disciple of David of Tay. Whose Sufic code name was Solomon, because he was the son of David. The architectural measurements chosen for this temple, as for the Kaaba building at Mecca, were numer- numerical equivalents of certain Arabic roots conveying holy messages. Every part of the building being related to every part in definite proportion, and it goes on for there, but I think that's a good place to stop. Right. Yep. So
2: uh, what recently uh, I've been going into the Sharia as well, because I I thought it was just, you know, a bunch of, you know, we'll do this and say your salat that way and bow down this way. There was not going to be anything interesting in there, but I just decided to uh, look up the word Gnosticism uh, in the Sharia. And what do I find? It's actually there.
1: Yeah. Let's get to that. Too. Let me finish so that I don't have to. Uh, oh, done. you're not
2: done yet? All right. Yeah, no, I just got to do another <laughs>
1: section of oh, the Sharia. Yeah. In fact, I'll just I'll just do a brief hint at that, and I'll leave the rest of you and Jan to chat about it. Like, I just want to show people a little bit more about the Sharia, what it has to say, what it actually is about. Um, so I'll share my screen and go on. So I'll be another 15 minutes, and the, the floor is yours.
0: All right. We'll zip it and let you go.
1: Cool. Uh, yeah, it's just it's. Nearly three o'clock and I go to work today. Uh, okay, everyone, on my screen is showing, I hope. Just so you know, this is, the, this is the index page of the most common Sharia manual in the world. These are some of the things. Both of the versions that I have, that the best versions, are linked in the description. Download a copy. They talk about sacred knowledge. And the interesting books are Justice, Enormities, and, of course, this section, W, A and W, but W is gold. Right. I want to go through uh, based on what Todd said, section A 4.7. Ghazali meant when he said that sufiism tasawwuf is personally obligatory for every Muslim. People under the mistaken impression that is something that's Shia or not related to Islam. No, it is central, central to Islam. It is all over the Sharia. That is something that really uh, we need to we need to go through here. Um, so I'm going to go through. So we go to book O, Justice, and of course, um, of course, uh, yeah. Okay, so we're going to look at, this is the Sharia. Let's look at apostasy in Islam, right? Leaving Islam is the ugliest form of unbelief. It is kufr. Kufr means to cover, to conceal, to cover up. We are guilty of covering up a prayer, and the worst, 08.1. When a person who has reached puberty and is sane voluntarily leaves Islam, he deserves to be killed. Uh, Now, apparently, Islam is how you interpret it. How do I interpret that? What does that say, guys? I'm from Africa. I don't know how to interpret this. Please help me. (laughs) Okay. So, yeah, he deserves to be killed. 08.2. And he's killed with kindness, just so you know. And the sword is kindness. That's the name of the sword. It's engraved on it. They chop your head off. (laughs) So it is obligatory for the caliph to ask him to repent and return to Islam. If he does, it is accepted. But if he refuses, he is immediately killed. Now you can go to other Sharia manuals that say no. If you look at Muhammad's example, there's no need to wait three days. Kill him now. Now it says here in 08.4, there is no indemnity for killing an apostate since it is killing someone who deserves to die now let's have a look at something at acts so how do i interpret that it is killing someone who deserves to die leaving islam you deserve to die well, how do you interpret that just help me out i went to a school for emotionally disturbed teachers back in africa i have difficulty with things uh someone interpret that for me um excuse my sarcasm so acts that entail leaving islam among the things that entail apostasy from islam And I want to go to this one. Look at number 20. To deny that Allah intended the Prophet's message to be the religion followed by the entire world. When they tell you there's no compulsion in Islam or to you be your religion, to me be my, that is nonsense. It is apostasy for a Muslim to say that everyone's allowed their own religion because it is says here bluntly it is apostasy to say that or to deny that a line tended for islam to be followed by the entire world i think that the the sharia makes that very very clear right let's look at jihad again this is from jihad means to war against non-muslims and it's etymologically derived from the word mujahada signifying warfare to establish the religion the scriptural basis for jihad prior to consensus is our Quranic verses fighting is prescribed for you. The word prescribed is a legal word in the Sharia. It has a very specific meaning in Sharia. Just like the Talmud has specific legal meanings, so does the Sharia is even worse. Slay them wherever you find them. Both of these Quran verses fight the idolaters utterly. And Hadith as the one related by Bukhari and Muslim. I've been commanded to fight people until they testify that there's no God but Allah and that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. If they say this, they've saved their blood and their possessions from me." And on the obligatory character of jihad, jihad is a communal obligation. When enough people perform it to successfully accomplish it, it is no longer obligatory upon others. And the evidence is the prophet saying, he who provides the equipment for a soldier in jihad has himself performed jihad. Those of the believers who are unhurt but sit behind are not equal to those who fight in Allah's path with their property and their lives. Allah has preferred those who fight with their property and lives a whole degree above those who sit behind. If none of those concerned perform jihad and it does not happen at all, then everyone who is aware that it is obligatory is guilty of sin. They all go to hell. Jihad is a communal obligation, meaning it must be performed by the Muslims each
2: year. So, so wait a second. So if I serve someone else a salad, then I don't need to eat the salad because I'm performing jihad.
1: Yeah, so a small mind—that's Famous. it's a small minority. It is obligatory. It is religiously and Sharia law obligatory that they do it. They must, or the whole Islamic community falls into sin. Notice 0913, when a child or a woman is taken captive, they become slaves by the fact of capture, and the woman's marriage is immediately annulled. So, when under Islamic law, that's how ISIS was able to gather all their sex slaves. And um, I want to jump ahead now to. um, um, Okay, so I want to get to P75. Okay, let's have a look here. Not loving the prophet. Now, notice. Notice this, uh, just then I'll move to the next book. This section of P75.2, not loving Muhammad more than all people. The prophet said, none of you believes, none of you is a proper Muslim until I am more beloved to him than his wife, his child, himself, and all people. That, that is worshipping him. Right? You have to love him more than anybody and everybody in your life and also says you do not contend with what the prophet has brought the prophet said none of you believes until his inclinations conform to what i have brought in other words not your own thoughts but muhammad's example Nawawi says this means a person must examine his acts in light of the quran and sunnah suspending his own inclinations his own reason and following what the prophet has brought and it says here that in the sharia when allah and his messenger have decided the matter no believer Male or female has a choice. So yeah, make of that what you will. Now yeah, comment. I'm almost done. I've got a couple more examples to go through. And I I'm just uh,
0: wanted to show on screen some of the recent uh, murders by of Christian pastors and Christian students. But yeah. uh, all right, just really quickly, a Nigerian pastor who praised God and ran some video beheaded after refusing to deny Christ. And then here's another one that just happened a couple of days ago. Uh, a Christian college student was shot in the head by uh, an Islamic uh, militant who refu- when he refused to uh, accept Muhammad. Go ahead.
1: Wow. Yeah. Okay. So this is from a different Sharia manual, also a very popular one, very famous one. Now, notice all the newer ones are being translated, and many of them are being tidied up by the translators to not look as nasty. This one is an older one, and this is chapter two on the manner of waging war, right? For instance, these, the, the chapter on slavery in the previous manual has not been translated, and in some manuals, it's removed, it's removed entirely. Slavery is still in the Sharia. It's still there. It's not, it, it can never be removed. Notice on the manner of waging war, when the Muslims enter the enemy's country and besiege cities or strongholds of the infidels, it is necessary to invite them to embrace Islam. Because even Abbas relates to the Prophet that he never destroyed anyone without previously inviting them to embrace Islam. If they embrace the faith, it is unnecessary to war with them because that which was the design of the war is then obtained without the war. The design of Islamic Jihad is to make people become Muslims, to force them. And if they embrace the faith, it is necessary to war because that which was the design of the war is then obtained without war. The Prophet, moreover, has said, we are directed to make war upon men until such time as they they all confess. There is no Allah but Allah, no God but Allah, right? And when they repeat this creed, their persons and their properties are protected. If they do not accept the call to truth, they must then be called to pay the jizya, the capitation tax. Because if they don't, they are decapitated. By submitting to this tax, the war is forbidden and terminated. And it says the infidels must be called. And if they refuse, they must pay the tribute. And it goes on here, capitation tax is only acceptable for people of the book. Atheists, Hindus and those who don't have a book have a choice. Become Muslim or be beheaded, be killed. Now, let's have a look. The prophet instructed his commanders to call the infidels to the faith because people will hence perceive that they are being attacked for the sake of religion and not for the sake of taking their property. People have to know they're being attacked for the sake of religion. You are being attacked in jihad because you are not a Muslim. If a Muslim attacks infidels without previously calling them to the faith, he is an offender because this is forbidden. But yet, if he does attack them before inviting them and he slays them and he takes their property, neither a fine nor an expiation nor an atonement are due because that which protects, namely Islam, does not exist in them. This is the Sharia law. Point of interest, they're called Muslims here. Musulmans, not Muslims. Muslims. Surprised they don't use the term Mohammedans here. Um, I want to go down three more lines from this. If the infidels, upon receiving the call, neither consent to it, do not become Muslims, nor do they agree to pay the capitation tax, it is then incumbent on the Muslims to make war upon them. Notice there is not a single mention of defensive war here. This is offensive, specifically for the sake of forcing people to accept Islam. The Muslims, the Muslims must then attack the infidels with all manner of warlike engines. These means are therefore all sanctified by the law. This is all sanctified by the Sharia. This is the interpretation of the Quran. This is the word and the mind of Allah. This is the ultimate Islamic law. Yeah, so I'll go to the next book. I want you got a couple. Um, oh, notice. Uh, the, uh,
0: just really quickly. Oh, yeah, there he is. Never mind. I'm nearly done. I'm nearly done. Anyway. Yeah, Todd's yeah. Uh, phone died. So he's back now. Go ahead. Yeah.
1: So I won't read from this one, but I uh, just wanted to mention this one also talks about jihad and it makes no bones about it. Jihad is actually, I'll show you. I'll bring up the link. Um, just do that now. Uh, from this book, I just want to extract only this one passage. But notice, in the Talmud, people talk about, oh, the Jews can steal your stuff if, you know, they find it. Well, notice, the same stipulation happens to exist in the Sharia called Lakta. Fascinating. This is from this book. War against the infidels living in their own country is a common obligation. In other words, a communal obligation upon Muslims. It is an obligation to go make war against infidels living in their own country. Surprise, surprise. That is to say, if a sufficient number of Muslims acquit themselves of it, the others may lawfully remain at home. That famous small minority again. Among obligations for which the Muslim community is responsible in common and not individually are also included that of defending the faith and refuting infidel errors. In other words, counter apologetics. That's why all these twats get in the comment sections and lie because they have to defend the faith and they must refute infidel errors. And now- er, Error <clears throat> quotes, errors. Errors, yeah, exactly. And uh, I've got two more sections to do, so I want to bring up Nawawi. Uh, let me, and then I'm done in a few minutes. Ah, oh, good grief, I've lost. Okay, notice in this book, Nawawi is one of what they call the Sheikh al-Islam or sheik ul al-Islam. There are a handful of Islamic scholars that are basically giants in the field of Islamic exegesis. These people are the major scholars in Islam, and a Sheikh al-Islam, this is one of them, right? Ibn, um, Ibn Taymiyyah is another, there are a the handful of them, and these people are the major scholars whose study and research and books on the Quran eventually became, became the, um, the, their writings became the Sharia, right? And notice they speak of Sufism, Sufism is part, is an integral part of Sunni Islam, and they speak of the scholarly consensus right? They actually speak of the scholarly consensus. I want to go here. Um, Let's go to that section. Just to show what the Sharia has to say about what needs to be believed. Scholarly consensus in Islam. Ijma. Or scholarly consensus is the agreement of all of the mushtahids people allowed to interpret the sacred law and when the four necessary integrals of consensus exist the ruling agreed upon is an authoritative part of sacred law that is obligatory for all muslims to obey and it is not lawful to disobey right nor can mushtahids of a succeeding era make the thing an object of a new judgment because the ruling, verified by scholarly consensus, is an absolute legal ruling that does not admit of being contravened or annulled. Allah ordered the believers in the Quran to obey him and his messenger. So too, he has ordered them to obey those of authority, the ulu al-amr. Right? The ulu al-amr include all those entrusted with directing the Muslims in matters of concern. In other words, there is a guiding authority in Islam, known typically as the ulama. So above the Muslims, there will be a small group that actually is in control. A small group, a secret group, an unknown group actually is in control. It says here, and those of authority among you. So obey Allah, obey the Prophet, and obey those of authority among you. Quran 4:59. When those of authority in legal expertise, the mushtahids, agree on a, on a ruling, it is obligatory. I just wanted to make that point with regards to that. And um, this is a link. You guys can come back and see this. But yeah, the Ulu Amr and Authority, the central pillars of Sunni political thought. The Ulu Al Amr of those in authority. And now my final reference that I want to bring up. And then I'm done in a few minutes. So five more minutes for me, and then it's all up to you guys. All right? You guys good?
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: This is Ibn Taymiyyah, another Sheikh al-Islam, one of the major scholars, the major founders of the of what ultimately became the Sharia. And this is a book called the Anshi sword against the one who insults Muhammad. In fact, this is anyone who insults Islam. This is insulting the Quran, Muhammad, or Allah, right? This is what to do, what the Sharia says. So this is the definitive manual. So in other words, they will assign a number of scholars to go and write something. And then one scholar will collect all of that work together. And he will, from that, write a definitive scholarly manual. And what's nice is when you find these books, these these definitive ones, they go, well, hey, um, the definitive ruling for this is that scholar and that book, that scholar in that book, this scholar in that book. And that's how you learn what the most authoritative scholars and what the most authoritative books are. So this one is The Uncheathed Sword by Sheikh al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah, right? And we're going to have a look and see what he says is the punishment for people. Now, understand when you insult Islam, Right, remember we saw in the previous Sharia manual that not accepting Islam is also making war on Islam. You're making war on Allah by not accepting Islam. You are guilty of warfare and thus you must be attacked. This also takes a swipe at that issue. This actually refers to that. Notice the first issue, whoever insults the prophet is to be killed, whether they are a Muslim or a disbeliever. Any thoughts guys?
2: Pretty simple.
1: (laughs) I think it's pretty straightforward. If you insult Muhammad, ask Charlie Hebdo, right? The second issue, killing is prescribed on him, the one who insults the prophet, and it is not permissible to imprison him, or show favor to him, or to ransom him. Any Muslim or non-Muslim who insults the prophet is to be killed. I think that's pretty clear. I hope that is clear. any takers that that's the last mention of killing? No, yeah. No. Yeah. Um, let's see. Is the screen size big enough or should I make it bigger?
0: Uh, it's it's good. If you make it bigger, like I said, we're having a sizing issue right now. So probably- okay.
1: I'll make it bigger, it. yeah. So. so notice, right? Islam is the true religion, okay? And Muhammad was sent to make it apparent or in other words- um, to not, not to make it apparent but to make it superior over all other religions even if those who are stubborn that's us dislike it and damn i do so this book concerns the islamic ruling upon those who insult the final prophet and messenger muhammad right so this is the definitive work right by ibn Taymiyyah, to finally make the final rulings and i'll get to that and it says here concerning the apostate if they do not become muslim that's you If they do not become Muslim, they are to be killed by the sword. The scholars say they are not to be killed except by the imam or his deputies. It is for every... Now, this is if they try to flee. If a Muslim tries to flee Islamic lands to non-Islamic lands, it is for every Muslim to kill them. It is legal then for any Muslim to kill them. Sheikh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah states that the objective of this work of his was to clarify the Islamic Islamic ruling on what's called sab al-rasul, right, insulting the prophet, S-A-B-B, sab al-rasul, in other words, the messenger. The first issue, the one who insults him, the prophet, whether a Muslim or a disbeliever is to be killed. The second issue, that they are to be killed even if they pay a protective tax in a Muslim state. That is the capitation tax. That is the jizya. Let's go through. So I I will run through this. Whoever insults the prophet is to be killed, whether they are a Muslim or a disbeliever. That's the subject heading. This is the general view of the scholars. The scholars have consensus that whoever insults Muhammad is to be killed. And these names, Shafi and Malik, for instance, are the founders of the four major schools of Islamic jurisprudence. There are only four major schools in Sunni Islam. There's the Jafari school in Shia Islam. The Muslims have unanimous agreement upon killing whoever insults the Prophet, whoever insults other than Muhammad is to be lashed. Right now, and they talk about their consensus upon the obligation of killing such a person if he is a Muslim. So the scholars have a consensus. The Muslims have a consensus that whoever insults Allah or His Messenger or rejects anything, what has been revealed by Allah, if you reject the Quran. Then such a person is a disbeliever. Guess what happens to disbelievers? They're killed. Hint. I do not know anyone who differed concerning the obligation of killing such a person. Do you guys believe the Quran? Do you guys accept Muhammad? No. Well, no. Oh, the obligation of the Muslims is to kill you, right? When they have the authority, once they have the power, I'll get to that in a moment. The scholars have consensus that whoever insults the messenger, attributing a defect who says Muhammad is not perfect. Is a disbeliever and a disbeliever is killed. The Muslim who insults is killed. There is no disagreement concerning that. The view of the four Imams and the, okay, and other than them is that the Dhimmi, that's the non Muslim living under an Islamic state who pays jizya, is also killed. Surprise, surprise. Who was expecting that? Anybody? The Muslim and the disbeliever <laughs> are to be killed. The Hadith. Of the blind man who killed a woman when he heard her insulting the the prophet so a blind man so let's have a look a blind man let me just enlarge this a blind man had a slave who used to abuse the prophet and disparage him he forbade her but she did not stop he rebuked her but she did not give up her habit one night she began to slander the prophet and abuse him so he took a dagger placed it on her belly pressed it and killed her a child who came between her legs was smeared with the blood that was there when the morning came the prophet was informed about it he assembled the people and said i adjure by allah the man who has done this action and i adjure by him i I drew him by my right to him that he should stand up and jumping over the necks of the people and trembling the man stood up and he sat before muhammad and said messenger of allah i am her master she used to abuse you and disparage you I forbade her, but she did not stop. And I rebuked her, but she did not abandon her habit. I have two sons like pearls from her because sex slavery is legal in Islam. And she was my companion, sex slavery, like I said. Last night, she began to abuse and disparage you. So I took a dagger, put it on her belly and pressed it and I like, killed her. Thereupon the prophet said, oh, be witness. No retaliation is payable for her blood. That is Sunan Abu Dawud, book 38, Hadith 43, 48 right so uh and nearly done i'll be yeah go on sorry i'll be oh i just
0: wanted to uh have you address this person mixana she or he is baffled why is this our problem we don't need their oil our founders weren't muslim and uh are we supposed to be scared don't negotiate with terrorists i'm more terrified by our western appeasers
1: Well, think about this. Western law applies, like American law applies to people you would call Americans. Sharia law applies to you, and to you, and to you, and to you, and to you. you. Are you a non-Muslim? Sharia law applies to you too. Are you a Muslim? It applies to you. Are you not a Muslim? It applies to you too. Do you live in a non-Muslim country? Well, Sharia law applies to you as well. They are obligated to make war in one shape, way, form or another. By deceit, by by warfare, by bombs, by bullets, by bribery, by you name it.
0: And there's been sure. 36,000 yeah. terrorist attacks since 9/11, with almost 600,000 people killed or maimed.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So I'll be done in a couple of minutes. This is almost done. Um, there is no difference of opinion concerning killing, right? The person that insults Muhammad, right? A belittlement of the Muslims now if you belittle the Muslims or the religion or you insult Muhammad then the dhimmi has broken the covenant right that's the the contract of Umar the pact of Umar that's actually defined in the Sharia as well right and all of them mention that the one who insults the messenger is to be killed who, who gets the feeling that this is getting a little repetitive even if they're a dumi and that this breaks their covenant one who insults the messenger is to be killed And this includes spying upon the Muslims. Now, technically, I am spying upon the Muslims right now because there's a prohibition in the Sharia which says that you shall not reveal the secrets or the weaknesses of the Muslims. And this is technically what I am doing. That's why when you ask a Muslim in the comments, well, show me from the Sharia. If you're so proud of this Sharia, if you think this is the ultimate law, it's amazing stuff. It's just awesome. Awesome stuff. Better than PS5, right? Then how come you can't quote it for me? How come you can't giving them a book they absolutely will not do it they won't because the prohibitions in there prevent them from revealing these secrets to you so spying upon the muslims or adultery with the muslim woman (laughs) yeah you get killed let's have a look shafi this is the head of the the guy who founded the shafi school of jurisprudence reported that insulting the prophet breaks the covenant and such a person is to be killed And from them are those who narrated the first view that insulting the prophet breaks the covenant and necessitates that they be killed. It is for the imam to kill them. Take that which comes concerning the prophet and his companions of killing due to the likes of these reasons. They call this the political killing. It is for the imam to give a discretionary punishment with killing in those matters. This is nearly done. So the majority of them gave the religious verdict that the dhimmi who insults the messenger is to be killed, even if they repent and they become a Muslim. The evidence for the obligation of killing the one who insults, okay, that's the title, the evidence for the obligation of killing the one who insults Allah or his messenger or his religion or his book, right, is in the Quran, the Sunnah, that's the Hadith and the Sirah, and the consensus of his companions and those who knew him, it is also based on reflection. As for the Quran, the first place is in the saying of Allah the Most High. And now this is Surah 929. This is the this is how Surah 929 is interpreted in the Sharia. Fight against those who believe not in Allah, that is us who are non-Muslims, nor in the last day, nor forbid that which has been forbidden by Allah. In other words, who don't follow the Sharia and His messenger, and those who acknowledge not the religion of truth among the people of the book, the Jews and the Christians, oh my they name us there, until they pay the jizya, the capitation tax, with submission, and they feel themselves subdued. The order is to fight them until they pay the jizya and they feel themselves subdued. The Sharia says that this is an order. 929 was an instruction from Allah, the final instruction from Allah to the Muslims. It is not permissible to leave non-Muslims alone Until they are in a subdued state and they pay the jizya. Paying the jizya is while submitting to it in a humbled state. And this state of being subdued is throughout their duration as demis in a Muslim state. So whoever insults Allah's messenger when they are not in a subdued state, that is because the one who is subdued is lowly, abased. And this action is an action of one with power. So we have to be brought low because we have the power to do this, to violate the Sharia. It is an obligation upon us to sacrifice our blood and our wealth until the word of Allah is uppermost. I will finish off in a moment. So... So basically, Sharia necessitates fighting them and criticism concerning the religion is a specific and stronger reason for the obligation of fighting. Criticizing Islam is an obligation that causes fighting against the ones who criticize Islam. Fighting was obligated in this verse, saying, fight the leaders of disbelief. That is um, Quran, At-Tawbah, uh, uh, verse 12, I don't know, I don't know which, uh, but anyway, and at 13, I think that's, 9 yeah it should be nine, twelve, nine, thirteen. whoever criticizes islam and violates that oath it is obligatory to fight them and i think this is my very final um very final yeah three more when there is offensive criticism of the religion we fight whoever we don't have a covenant with and that is what is obligated now i can tell you nine five violated broke canceled every covenant every treaty every obligation If you read Ibn Kathir and you check his his tafsir of of verse 9-5, all covenants have been canceled. right? And that is obligated. So fighting, anyone who criticizes Islam is obligated. As for whoever we have a covenant with, the fighting is obligated due to the need to subdue them even more so. Whoever criticizes Islam, then he's a leader in disbelief and he's being fought against, has been obligated. He commanded the fighting of those who broke the oaths and criticized the religion. This necessitates that whoever harms Allah and his messenger is killed. Criticizing Islam is harming Allah and harming Muhammad. And those people must be killed. The numerous evidences, and they give you lots of evidence. And sorry, yeah, sorry, this on my bad. Okay, a little bit more, I'll be one minute. Opposing and showing hostility to Islam means the person is an enemy, and that is disbelief, and that means waging war. The one who annoys the messenger of Allah is a disbeliever, an enemy of Allah, and his messenger who is waging war against them. To not accept Islam, to not agree with the Quran, to not agree with the Sharia, to not agree with any of this, you are waging war against them. So take not the Jews and Christians as friends. Allah tells us that whoever takes the Jews and the Christians as friends among the Muslims is one of them. Whoever loves and makes friendship with the one who opposes Allah is not a believer. And we just learned that the non-believers are killed. Abu Kahafa insulted the Prophet, so Abu Bakr intended to kill him. It is established that the one who opposes a disbeliever and his blood is allowed to be spilled. One who opposes Islam is a disbeliever, and his blood is allowed to be spilled. I'll stop there. That's me.
0: And that's a great place to stop right there, because uh, you know Trump today with uh, uh, what's his name? Right, right on the tip of my tongue, I can't think of it. The premier of uh, Israel, or you know, Uh, Netanyahu. Uh, Yeah, thank you, Netanyahu. uh, Tried to do this uh, two-state. Thing with Palestine and Israel. And, and what do yeah. these texts here show that they cannot tolerate under any circumstance a, a binary state between the Muslims and the Jews?
1: Yeah. So this is the Sharia. Now, what's interesting is the Talmud is one book. You can go to it, it's one book. What they've done with Sharia is distributed across dozens of books so it's not in one place. That's why it's so hard to know what it is, because it's scattered deliberately across different scholars and different areas. Todd, up to you now.
2: All right. Yeah. So uh, Lloyd has been giving me some books lately that I, that I've been going into, and uh, they're they're making the connections of how I I've been trying to trace this Gnosticism tract honestly throughout my my talks with Jan and everything, trying to figure out exactly what is the um, what, what really is the occult part of Islam and how does it interrelate with Europeans and, and Americans? And the more I'm learning, the the, the crazier it gets. Uh, these Islamic Gnostic texts that uh, Lloyd's found and, and shared with me and I've been going through lately, just I've only had like three days to go through them. But there's some of the oldest Gnostic material that we have, and there's a lot of it and and none of it sounds very islamic except for the fact that they're very strict about following sharia about doing all the washings and the prayers and the and the killings so um are you able to bring up the one note jan
0: jan yep getting it up here hold on just a second yeah
2: so what what i want to do is just um read a few of the best quotes that I've been able to find uh, in the past few days to give you an idea of the mentality of these And this is the epistle of
0: uh, Sufism or which uh, one you want to yeah, yeah,
2: epistles of Sufism.
0: All mm-hmm. right. And uh, can, uh, can you see that there on screen?
2: I don't see it yet, no.
0: All right, well, it, okay, it's up, so go ahead and start if you are able Okay, so so this is the Epistle on
2: Sufism. Uh, Lloyd had a a slide up earlier that addressed this guy. So this guy is one of the uh, guys that conglomerates, makes an appendices to all the major scholars on the subject. So now from this book, I'm going to need to go out and uh, start looking for the more specific tafsirs over specific topics, and hopefully I can uncover some more historical facts and interesting things to do. But for right now, I just want, I want to give you a little bit of their psychology. So, uh, and now to the main topic, God has made this community and by this community, he means the Sufi community, his friends of choice and placed them above the rest of his servants. And immediately after his messengers and prophets, He has rendered the hearts of the Sufis repositories of his mysteries and marked them off from the other members of his community by his resplendent light. They are the saviors of all other creatures. Okay, guys, this is what they think of themselves. Now, what I'm finding is that these major Sufi scholars all claim to be descendants of Muhammad. All right. So... In essence, when you know when they're always saying uh, "and blessings upon the family of Muhammad," right? They always say that. Well, this is they're blessing these guys, these Sufis. These Sufis supposedly are the family of Muhammad. So, uh, the manners of the divine Gnostic are superior to any other kind of manners because his heart is instructed in good manners by the object of his knowledge. A Sufi said, when I allow someone to stay in the presence of my names and attributes, uh, what what do we talk about with Abu Lafia? You could go back to Abu Lafia and he was talking about all the mystical names that you can go through, right? Well, I, mm, I wonder where he got it from, because the guy who's writing this wrote in the year just after 1000, and Abu Lafia, he is in 1290, 1300. I always impose proper manners upon him. When, however, I decide to reveal to him the true reality of my essence, I impose perdition upon him. So choose what you like best, good manners or perdition. So this is what they're saying. The Sharia, the sacred law, is the rules to good manners. If you fail in any of those things, then he's happy to give you perdition. But if you follow his good manners, then he'll be your best friend.
1: Do what you're told.
2: Yeah, yeah, do what you're told. And, and he's your savior. He's going to save you because he's the family of the prophet Muhammad. And he is closest to Allah. So it is then, well, let's see here, one second this is the next part. So this is when they're, they're starting to get their, their gnosis, right? So after that, he begins to speak on behalf of God. Okay. See, so now they're getting their mystic awakening through their Sufi school that you, you have to have a master, a master has to initiate you. You cannot do this on your own. It's impossible, impossible to do on your own. You must have a master, a Sufi master. who imparts to him the mysteries of the dispensations of his foreordained decrees. It is then that he is called a Gnostic, and his state is called Gnosis. In brief, the more estranged he is from his own self, the more he knows his Lord. Sufi masters have discoursed profusely about Gnosis. All right, guys, these Sufis, and, and Sufism is actually a nickname for these guys okay they they don't actually accept the the term sufism for themselves they say that they're tasawuf Uh, how do you how do you pronounce that lloyd what is tassawuf it doesn't drive to the
1: woods anyway so
2: right fair enough so Tasawuf, um like lloyd was saying is it's obligatory upon every single muslim so sufism is So, whenever you hear them saying it, that's what they mean. So, what, what is it that these guys have learned from their Gnosticism? Since I acquired the Gnosis of God Most High, neither truth nor falsehood have ever entered my heart. All right? So, this is like... Lloyd was describing and proving in the Sharia manuals, a reason is your enemy. Okay. Truth and falsehood, uh, eh, that doesn't even exist here. This plane of existence is Allah's fantasy. It doesn't even, it's not even real. The true reality is the Gnostic land of oneness with Allah in your inner mind. He also said one of the signs of the Gnostic is that he is empty of any but, thought. Uh,
0: which page are we on now? You're not we're, we're at the bottom of the epistle of Sufism. Okay.
1: No, it's not showing on the screen, though. You need to scroll There down. it
0: is. Got it. Okay.
2: He also said one of the signs of the Gnostic is that he is empty of any thought about this world and the next one. Gnosis has two goals. Confusion and bewilderment. All right, so <laughs> here's another word play on this bafflement, right? So we got Mahomet, bafflement, and now baffle, baffling, the baffling case of Mohammed the bafflement.
1: <laughs> bafflement.
2: Yes, bafflement.
1: In other
0: words, confusion.
2: Right. So now we're going to go to the reliance of the traveler. So that that was by a. Like I said, a guy who has conglomerated a bunch of sayings of of really famous Sufis and what they have to say about a whole bunch of topics. It's four hundred five hundred page long thing, and it's got like 40 biographies of a lot of these famous guys. I haven't had time to go into all.: We read that quotes
1: on illumination Read the quotes on illumination
2: Oh yes. Uh, oh crap um,
0: on the uh, on which page are we on?:
2: Yeah go go to Skype and bring it up that the that encyclopedia i'll give you this
1: hold on let me give me let me i'll send it to you on skype i'm sending it to you right now just read that here it is
2: okay so i'm not as, i'm not yeah, uh, it, uh let me
1: send it to you uh, as well yeah
2: figures such as shihab okay. al-din yaha, blah 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 Combined a critical revision of the metaphysics, logic, okay, so executed. In, so this is 1191, okay, this is a long time ago, guys. 1191, combined a critical revision of the metaphysics, logic, and psychology of Ibn Sina with an identification of being as light. His illuminationist Ishraqi philosophy, expressed both in logical treatises and in Platonic fables in Arabic and Persian drew upon Sufi mystical experience as an important source of knowledge. So there it is, guys. The real Illuminati, it, it is born in in uh, Persia and, and Arabia, okay? It's not an invention of the Jews. Nope, nope,
1: nope, yeah. nope. And the ulama are the leaders of Islam. These are the ulama nati.
2: Yes, right, the ulama, the leaders, that, listen to it. Oh my God. It's crazy, guys. The Ulama Nati, the illumined ones, and they're the leaders of Islam.
0: And they've got everybody chasing the scapegoat. And uh, if you bring it up, you're called a shill because they have to use misdirection or Sufism or Sophism to cover up the facts of all of this. Yeah. Well,
2: that's that's the point: is that the true reality doesn't have the same rules, right? So
0: well, it's like you, a, it's like quantum physics. Anything goes. Any reality well, can be real. You you, you read, sorry,
1: well, Islam is the only truth. If you read the 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 mosque manual, the, the madrasa manuals, Islam is the only truth. Right. They, yeah.
2: And 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 the Sufi manual also says that these guys it, they also suffer the errors of being incorrect, just like the Prophet Muhammad did. Right. So imperfection is perfection. It is th- so when you're beat when you make a mistake, well, you, you're you just following along the path of Muhammad, and it's okay, it's all right. Just d- like that, the Sharia says, don't point out the errors of your fellow Muslim. it's against the law.
1: Yeah, that's that's very much Sharia principle. You're not allowed to criticize another Muslim. I mean, we remember the situation when we had Syed and Didat contradicting each other regarding <laughs> Aisha, but neither <laughs> yeah. one would engage with the other, they were posting. Utterly contradictory statements. Yeah, they wouldn't engage. They're not allowed to. It's called backbiting and, and in the sharia. They're not allowed to. Not, nope.
2: So anyway, so I just read to you from the the, the more mystical side of things, but now we got to bring it home because as Lloyd has figured out, it, it it's all rooted in Sharia. Quran's not so important. It's what the Sharia has to say about the Quran that is important. So this is what the Sharia has to say about perfecting your faith. All right, the perfection of the faith is on scholars mention that there are three spiritual stations a servant may have in his worship to worship in a way that fulfills its obligations by observing all its conditions and integrals. So that's the outward, um, following of the letter of the law, making your proper prayers, saying you're this and that, burying your people that way, slaying your cow, performing Ramadan, blah 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 blah. Now, secondly, secondly, the second step is to do this while immersed in the sea of Gnostic inspiration, Mukashafa, until it is as if the worshiper actually beholds Allah Most High. This being the station of contemplative spiritual vision. And number three, on your third step to perfecting your faith in Islam, And to worship as mentioned above. Oh, so it doubles down on the Gnosticism. But this time, when you're freaking out with your Gnostic practice, you are supposed to concentrate on the fact that Allah sees you. So instead of you seeing Allah, Allah sees you. But when you combine these two things, the inward and the outward, see the dichotomy there?
0: It is shared. Go ahead. Keep going, Todd.
1: Oh, sorry, my bad. Oh, all right, all
0: right. Oh. Uh, oh, I see. You want to be well. I don't want to overrun the uh, system here with. I mean, screen. I'm not seeing Todd's screen at all. It, it's on screen. It's just showing. It's there. It, It's showing to the public. You can't see it. Oh, Okay, I can see it. Okay, my bad. Sorry.
2: But but we're going to need to uh, scroll down a little bit here. All right. Okay, so this is this is the Sharia, guys. This is, this is not some opinion that's being made that's kind of corollary of discussion. No, no, this, this is what has been decided. Gnostic meditation of inward and outward, of a duality, a push and pull, a psychic split that you're trying to hold two things to be true at one time in order so that you can have your mystic experience and going closer to Allah who is the best of deceivers, right? Yeah. So this is what this is the Quranic verse that they, they say, they quote in the Sharia that proves that this is the way to go. Uh, Today I perfected your religion for you and completed my favor upon you. And I please that Islam be your religion. The Gnostic in the first of his states is strongly affected by the initial impact. It has been said that the way begins in madness, proceeds to arts and ends in quietude. So one is obliged whenever one's rapture subsides, to return to what the lawgiver has stated. So in these mystical moments, there's rapture and you can do all kinds of crazy weird stuff. It's allowed, it's allowed. But after this crazy moment of gnosis, where you could be having sex with a donkey because that seemed the right thing to do. You got to come back from your ecstatic moment and then follow the Sharia again.
1: Can I make a point on that? Yes, the Sharia is definitive. It is the final answer. It is compulsory. It is the final solution to, to everything here. But they will often quote, look, this scholar disagrees. This scholar says, that." I, I looked up Mufti. A Mufti writes non-binding scholarly opinions, non-binding fatwa. So they can pull up a dozen different scholars having an opinion. You know what? Never, th- those opinions are irrelevant because they are non-binding. The Sharia is binding. Yes. So, yeah. so they, 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 can, they can bamboozle you with any number of scholars. And those scholars are nobody. Just seriously, tear them up, throw them away, not important. What's in the yeah, and they, they,
2: they don't even care because like like they said it's like air is a part of the path and if this one guy this mu- one mufti is making an error that actually benefits their jihad that makes you know people like oh wow look it's the roomy dervishes they're it's religious peace yay <laughs> we love each other look at all this beautiful poetry
0: right oh my uh, god let's go spin <laughs> fast in a circle it's so spiritual sweet.
1: You believe in Islam? No. Off with his head. Right.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and uh so just so people know, the, the whirling dervishes are a core part of uh, Sufi Islam. Yeah. All right. So and, this, and then and to finish, this is the last. So this this part here
2: is they're talking about delusions now. It uh, Gnostic delusions. So you can have you're supposed to go for Gnosis and your Gnostic split, but sometimes you can have a delusion. And so what they tell you is that it's, uh, if you go and start talking about it, it's a source of trouble to both those who believe you and those who do not, which is why he is forbidding speech about it. All right. Right, So here we have within the Sharia, the framework for an occult mystery school, okay, a classical occult mystery school is embedded in sharia and they've got a whole wealth of writings surrounding this classical gnostic mystical crap of satan worship basically and that they're just being now made available to the public and in english so it no wonder we didn't get it, but here it is, and I found a whole bunch more avenues to go down. And I'm I'm pretty sure that
1: Yeah. Well look, don't forget they also hit it across multiple books. It's not in one location. Right. You have no. to you have to link from one book to the next, one scholar to the next, one work to the next. So that they, well, they that's were-
2: that's what I was that's what I was noticing by we, this epistle on the Sufism, right? The epistle on sufism was what you were talking about where there's this one special guy who correlates all the the uh, specialists that all talk about certain things and then from there you get to correlate out you go oh there's a name there and a work that he wrote there so then i gotta go to that book to go yep. find out the like in detail what it really means for this specific yep. topic because they they yep. really are like lloyd is right they all have their own specialty it's like doctors you know, they've, you know, got the cardiologist and you've got the whatever else, pediatricians, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they've all got their own special uh, source of inspiration and gnosis to give.
0: Yeah. Now, uh, in your opinion, Todd, how does the, how do the Nag Hammadi so-called Gnostic Christian texts fit in? Now, obviously these were found in what the 19... 19- 30s or 40s, I believe, and they just kind of appear just like what we now know are the fake uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. But how, in your mind, do these uh, so-called Gnostic Christian texts fit in? in? In my opinion, they're sophistry to confuse Logos, like the gospel of truth and, and all of this.
2: Well, I mean, there's a guy in the Bible called Simon Magus, right? He's he's specifically he's specifically pointed out in the Bible. So Gnosticism is specifically addressed in your Bible. And Simon Simon Magus was told to kick rocks and that he didn't know anything. And he's an idiot. Uh, so that's what I think about it. Well, you so know, also, we
1: talk about the three Magi as the, the three wise men, but Magi actually comes from magician or sorcerer
2: correct well the, maybe the three magi that visited him at his birth but there's yeah. another guy named Simon Magus like M-A-G-U-S, yeah. Yeah, the, two mag- Simon Magus.
1: The, the magi I know but just he just reminded me of mag- Magi
2: right yes well that's what he was he claimed to be a magician and he also claimed to have a lover who was the physical embodiment of Sophia right so this is what this is what really Gnosticism, I what part the thesis I'm working on right now, is the fact that it, it actually is an occult divine, feminine worship. It's actually a worship of God as a woman rather than as a man.
1: Yeah, the Sufi works constantly speak of the feminine aspect of Allah. And Allah is supposed to be masculine with no wife, no child, no... Yeah, and also, but that, that also explains why the while the Kaaba in Mecca is covered with a niqab, with the hijab, while it's covered like a
2: And what's the silver chalice doing look like female genitalia giving birth?
1: Dude, you tell me. But why is this masculine Allah wearing female clothing?
2: Well, then again, that's, there you go again. It's the the duality. So you've got the male in charge of the physical realm with all his, you must do this and do that and bow. and. Salaam and whatever the heck else. And then you've got the inner realm where the the forgiving and compassionate mother teaches you all the wonderful, fantastical, ecstatic, passionate, loving things of the inner interior world.
1: And the weird thing, this stuff is essentially in the Sharia and yet it would seem to run contrary to the Islam that we all know and that is taught to the masses because they speak of the level of understanding for the masses and the one for for the elite hmm That's explicit yeah. Sharia.
2: Yeah, they, they explicitly say that there's only a few people who can find this route, and they're not actually interested in finding more. They're just interested in yeah. upholding the Sharia. Yeah, and,
1: and also, they're saying they, and they, they and actually, and actually and and he... must must be loyal to the sacred law. He must abide and comply with Sharia at all times.
2: Yes, because that's what purifies him. But and through this purification process of being perfect within Sharia is what allows him to achieve the Gnostic experience. Right? So he can't have it unless he's unless he's performing the rites and rituals of Sharia.
0: Now I wanted to mention that this all of this and what we've been discovering is it's very in line with primacy of consciousness and Huxley's perennial philosophy which is, <clears throat> excuse me, portrayed in Huxley's Doors of Perception. You can't know the world through logic and through reason and through your five senses. You have to shut that off and go inward. And in, and in uh, these texts we find the inner and the outer God. And in perennial philosophy we find the inner and the outer God. And Sufism we find the, or Sophism we find the inner and outer God. So what we see is a direct overlap between, these philosophies and what Huxley uh, was promoting through Doors of Perception and all of this stuff, which became the foundation for the CIA's MKUltra program and the whole promotion of this out to society for the last what sixty some years now, since what I 1950. Forty-seven, fifty-seven since the since the launching of uh, the CIA's MK Ultra program, so we see a direct correlation between the the Sufis' perennial philosophy, the Illuminati, the Freemasons, uh, the OTO, which was run by Crowley. That you know we we showed earlier all these members of the OTO and how it all ties in together there. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's it really is all tied together. I mean,
0: MK Ultra is literally an extension of gnosticism, sufism, perennial philosophy, and Islam sharia.
1: And also they're all about denial of objective reality, Correct. denial of external reality and accepting your fantasy about it. It's about cutting yourself off from the external and then fantasizing on the inside, which is insane. I mean, Socrates, obviously, the Socratic method. I mean, he fought against the surface because they, you know, um, nothing is real. It's like, well, if you can argue that nothing is real, then 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 you can make up whatever you like.
0: Sounds like a Beatles song. Nothing to get hung about. Strawberry fields forever. You know, it's like that's right. exactly once you and which we exposed years ago. The Beatles and their tie into all of this, and yeah, I mean, Rolling Stones and the and the rock. The whole 60s counterculture rock movement, all of this is yeah. tied into this whole perennial philosophy and sophistry, sophism, Sufism. So, it is, and, but it, this and, is the, and the,
1: the, the guy. the Socratic philosophy. This is the, the antithesis. It is the opposite.
0: And, and, and Aristotle, exactly. It's a, an ex, it's a flip, it's an exact yes. inversion of Logos and what the Bible teaches to keep us out of this exact type of mind control.
2: And just, to, just to, uh, another side note the guy who actually invented the term perennial philosophy is a French guy named Rene Guénon. And he <clears throat> was a Catholic priest who then converted to Islam. And he became a Sufi. Yes, of course. Well,
0: there you go. So, yeah, and then you got Jiddu Krishnamurti and all these guys selling this stuff, uh, neo-perennial philosophy, transpersonal psychology. The perennial tradition goes into the hermetic tradition, and now we know it goes uh, directly up into uh, Sufism. And we also
1: know for a fact that every accusation made against the Talmud, which is just a commentary on the Bible, is within the Sharia. And they've deflected every single legitimate. Oh, they're going to chop off your heads. Man, I just read to you from that book in Islam, the Sharia manual. Uh, They are the ones going to chop off your heads. And they've been deflecting onto anyone else but them.
0: And then then we have this. Oh, Todd's. Oh, there he is. And then we have this whole thing of deflecting it all onto the Jews as the cover up. And when they can't find any of this in the Old Testament or in the Talmud, etc., they literally have to make it up when we can show hundreds, thousands of primary citations on screen of exactly this being done and rolled out.
1: Yeah, the comment section is going to be fascinating later. <laughs>
0: For sure. Yeah. Well, of course, it'll be more sophism and misdirection and line and and whatnot. I wonder how
1: how they're gonna start telling me not all the scholars agree. Look at this scholar. Screw that scholar. That scholar wrote something non binding.
0: This is the sharia. He is beholden to the sharia. Right. Right. So figure out the bracket. Go right for the core of it all. And uh, so what they're gonna try to do is figure out some way to use misdirection to go sideways and to discredit us so that You know, so that uh, the the citations that we've shown on on screen are somehow by their fallacious sophist the logic or discredited. I mean the
1: Umdat al Salik is the compilation of all the other Sharia manuals. And also certain Sharia manuals specialize in a particular area, like you can get a sharia manual specializing in, say, marriage or prayer, you know, and or a blue
0: just so people know down in the show notes of this episode we did put a link for people to download and read both copies of the uh sharia or reliance of the knowledge. traveler <laughs> yeah. one with appendix w and the other one with it uh magically removed so there you go
1: yeah if someone knows anyone who speaks arabic it would be very useful to me there's a few paragraphs i want to have translated um, that would be very helpful To have someone who's not a Muslim who can translate Arabic.
0: And uh, anything else to present for tonight or is that a good place to wrap it up? I think
1: that's it. I think hopefully people have an understanding of just what Sharia is and what it says and how it clarifies and disambiguates all of the confusion that the Quran provides. And this had also, last point, final point, Muslims in the comments will constantly say, your gospels are all different. They all disagree. Look at all these variations. Well, what is very interesting, if you go read up the the an Islam QA, which is the biggest Islamic site in the world about that hadith where the blind man stabs his wife or his slave wife and kills her for insulting Muhammad. They say, it says that in that text, multiple different hadith, all are different. They all provide a slightly different story But they agree that it is correct because substantially they all agree on the same thing. Well, that's exactly what the Gospels do. But the Gospels are false and corrupted because they're not entirely word for word the same. But when the Hadith are all different, but they generally say the same, that's legit, 100% legit, nothing (laughs) wrong with that. Yeah, people, right, right. Well, and,
0: and through Bible interpretation and in Christianity, you know, because they, people didn't have recordings and whatnot, when you whenever you had two or more testimonies from different people, that is what was considered true. So the Bible provides four testimonies or four gospels plus acts as evidence of the truth from four different directions. So they don't want to admit that that you know, pre-recording time and whatever. This is how witnesses testified.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the hadith don't agree. The hadith contradict each other left and right, right. But yeah. Um, so, but look, you, you saw the Sharia said Islam has canceled Christians, Jews, and Christianity and Judaism, the Bible, and we have edited and altered the Bible. It is a false, corrupt book. That is the Sharia. Muslims must believe that. They have no choice.
0: So, uh, Lloyd, would you like to give out your contact information? Um, uh, yeah, well,
1: my email isn't that hard to find. Go to my YouTube channel, the About page. Um, but should I just give my email address? Sure. Yeah, aldeyong at outlook.com if you guys want to email me. Um, guys, support Jan in this. Um, this is a lot of work, a lot of effort. Look, I've also put in hours and hours of research work. Um, if you guys can um, support us, that would really be appreciated. Uh, I will supply copies of all of these books, every single manual. I've got almost 500 of the most authoritative Islamic books translated into English. I have a massive library. I will make that available. I have made a a select library available. It's in the description. Have a look at that. We are starting to go through the Sharia in depth. The words Gnosis are there. The words the Sufis, it's, it's all there. You know, We just have to find all these links, find all the manuals. Not everything's in English, but I think we have so far, we've got enough to make a very, very, very strong pile of evidence.
0: Todd, how do people contact you?
2: I can send you an email.
0: All right. And uh, folks, check out logosmedia.com. Please donate, subscribe to the show, hit the Patreon button. Uh, You can donate through Bitcoin, etc., Need all the support we can get. Uh, the primary channel has been shut down, or the live feed has been shut down for three months. Should be back up and running next week, so uh, glad about that. And uh, so, again, please hit the subscribe and like, and uh, get the, hit the notification bell. Please uh, donate to the show. We need all the support possible. See you soon, and uh, have a good night.